How do you select the best person for your team? The strongest resume, right? Nope. You're listening to Braving Bad Bosses with Jeff DeWolf and Todd Chandler, where we discuss how to survive a bad boss and not be one. Welcome back to Braving Bad Bosses, Season 3, Breaking the Cycle. This is Jeff DeWolf. I'm very excited about this week's episode because it is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. The topic is selecting people. Um, It's near and dear to my heart because there are very few things that are more important in the life of a leader than to carefully and strategically select the people for your team. If you're involved in the selection process, and I hope most of you are, if you're a manager of people or you hope to be a manager of people, remember this. When you get a chance to pick the people for your team, maybe to replace someone or to add someone, it is a privilege and it is an honor to do that. There are very few things more important than making the right decision on who to add to your team. As we get into this, I like to use an analogy of a chain and, you know, just a series of links all linked together. And the strength of that chain overall is only as strong as its weakest link. The strength of a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? So, um, I mean, you can imagine you could have you could have ten links in a chain, and uh, if one of those we- if one of those links is weak, it can be it renders the whole chain useless, right? So, you know, maybe a little dramatic, but when you think about who's the people on our team, when we have a weak link and it's weak from from a capability standpoint or a fit standpoint or an attitude standpoint, it can create a lot of problems on the team. So, what I want to do today is I want to I want to talk about four things when it comes to selecting people. And um, this might be a little bit different than some interview training that you may have heard of before, because I kind of bend the rules a little bit on on the interview process, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, maybe not bend the rules as much as as bend conventional wisdom as it relates to how to interview and the type of questions to ask. We're going to get into that in just a second. So I want to do I want to do four quick things in our short time together. One is I want to talk about the importance of preparation before the search begins. There's a few things that you need to do before you even start interviewing to fill a job. And, and then I want to talk about preparation for each interview. Very briefly, just I want, to, I want to spend a couple of minutes explaining why it's important to do that, not to show up unprepared. And then number three, I want to talk about using a variety of question types. I'm not a big fan of just using one type of question. Uh, and then number four, I want to talk about the importance of intangibles. And that's probably the most important part of, the, of this short podcast today is just talking about how do we get past the resume to get behind the resume to what the person's all about. I call those the intangibles. We can read about the tangibles. We need to work hard in an interview process to understand uh, the intangibles. All right, so let's start back with preparation. Why do I say we need to prepare before a candidate search? Well, the main reason we want to do this is we want to be we want to be crystal clear about what it is we're looking for in a candidate. What's the criteria we're going to use to decide who to select? And this is really really important. And so it's, it's tempting sometimes just to wing it and uh, you know kind of start an interview process. Maybe you got a dusty copy of you know the job description that was written who knows when by who knows who doesn't maybe even even represent what the job does today. So we want to be careful about that. We want to make sure we, we start with a very clear set of, of criteria. And we want to make sure everyone agrees on that criteria. Okay, so if, you're not, if, you're, if there's more than one person involved in the selection process, that set of criteria, what it is we're looking for, what types of skills, how many years of experience, what sorts of attributes are we looking for, which ones are most important, all of that has to be discussed in advance 
and you need to make sure that whoever is weighing in on the decision on who to hire is on board with it. So if your boss gets to approve your selection or gets to interview the last couple of candidates before making a decision, make sure that you and the boss are on the same page as far as what we're looking for so that we, you can both evaluate fairly. So setting up very clear selection criteria, which you know, what are we looking for and how important is each one of them, um, defining each of those so that people can start the interview process singing from the same song sheet. The other thing that that does, by the way, is that it, it helps us avoid kind of falling for the shiny object, or I call it the icing on the cake. So if you think of the selection process as, as a cake, you got to me, you got two layers. You're trying to assess two core things. You're trying to accept, assess experience, like the knowledge and knowledge level and experience level of an individual, and you're trying to also ensure that you get the right attributes. So the skills and attributes is one layer of the cake. Knowledge and experience is the other layer of the cake. Those are probably the two most, most important things. You want to balance those things. You want to look for a certain mix, right, for your cake, a certain recipe. The temptation, though, however, is sometimes to fall for what I call the icing. And so an example of this might be you're looking to fill a position and really requires a bachelor's degree. You're interviewing a set of candidates. In walks somebody with a Ph.D. And you're thinking to yourself, hmm, there's a Ph.D., it'd be great to have a PhD on the team, even though the position doesn't really require it, right? All I need is a bachelor's degree. Master's is even even overkill. But this person's got a PhD. Oh, cool. I can have a doctor on my team. It can be very compelling. It can kind of fall for that. And I might end up overlooking some of the more core ingredients because I want that icing. The problem with that course is you might have guessed when you hire someone who is way overqualified, either from an education standpoint or an experience standpoint, regardless of what they say in the interview, they're going to feel underemployed eventually, you know, no matter what they say. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, I got the PhD. It's been, it's been a few years. I don't really need to use it. I'm just excited to have a good job, uh, you know, and they'll say whatever they want, whatever you want to hear in the interview. And then six months into it, they're kind of like, man, I'm underemployed. I got this PhD. So you get the point. So we want to make sure that we have a very clear set of selection criteria so we don't fall for, you know, the icing on the cake and get enamored by, by something like that and then miss uh, also some of the key ingredients that we're looking for. All right. So number two, let's talk about preparation for each interview. You know, there's nothing worse than, you know, rolling in out of lunch. You got a one o'clock interview. You're five minutes late to it. You, you sit down. You don't even know the person's name you're interviewing. And you pull out, maybe if you, you get a copy of the resume, if you even have a res, copy of the resume, or they hand you the copy of the resume, and you're just sort of like, okay, I don't know what end is up. I just had tacos. Uh, I need a minute. And so what do you do? You say, uh, you know, go ahead and tell me about yourself. Meanwhile, you're just collecting your thoughts. You're trying to think about what am I going to ask this person? What's the interview? What, what, what position am I interviewing for? You get the idea. Uh, not a real effective way to make an, a decision as important as this. So we want to prepare for each interview. We want to make sure that we have a set of not only have that criteria in front of us, right, but we want to have a set of questions that we're going to ask, and we're going to try to ask the same set of questions to each of the candidates. We don't want to just wing this. There's a lot of legalities involved in this. We want to make sure that we don't discriminate. And the best way we can do that is trying to stick to a script in an interview process. Um, now, you know, you don't want to ask certain people certain things and other people other things. It can get you into a, uh, you know, a, lot, of, a lot of trouble, get you into a lot of hot water, if you will. So that list of questions keeps us on track. It keeps us uh, consistent from candidate to candidate. And um, frankly, it gives you the ability to tell the candidate Hey, listen, I've got a list of questions, and we only have 45 minutes, so um, there may come a time when I have to interrupt you 
to move us on because I want I want to be fair to you and give you a chance to answer all of the questions on my list, just like all of the other candidates. And sometimes by doing that, you take some of that awkwardness away when you when you have to interrupt the rambler. Uh, and we all know that type of interviewee, right? We ask a question and they can't find the end of the sentence. It just goes on and on and on and on. So this gives you the ability to sort of raise your hand and go, you know, let me redirect you because we remember I got all these questions. I want to make sure I'm fair to you. All right. So, you know, making sure that you have a few minutes before each interview, um, gather your thoughts, get your note, your notebook out, get that list of questions ready, and, and then start the process. Don't fill the first 10 minutes with a tell me about yourself question. Not a good question. All right. So that's just pre- that's preparing for each interview. We just want to make sure we do that. All right. So I want to move on to question types. If you have done in- any interviewing in the past or been ch- received any training at all, most likely you have been trained in something called behavioral interviewing. And behavioral interviewing basically just means this. I'm going to ask you questions about the things you've done in the past so that I can make the assessment that, that you would probably be able to do them in the future. That's, that's the premise of behavioral interviewing. Here's the problem. When I ask you to describe a time when you managed a complex project from beginning to end that had ended up in, uh, in, with great success and excellent results, there's a chance that you have a project like that that comes to mind. There's also a chance that you make everything up. All right, so asking behavioral interviewing questions does not guarantee honesty. I can put together an amazing sounding project that I own from start to finish, and you are sitting over there. If you listen to that and you believe all that and you're writing it down, you're checking that box. Wow, this, this guy's got complex project management experience. Let's move on to the next question. So don't, don't, don't fall for the idea that behavioral inter- interviewing questions are the only questions and that they're the most accurate questions. They're good questions. And um, it gives you an opportunity to hear some of some skills. And most, most candidates won't lie. But I think there are more questions that you can also consider. The first one's really a hypothetical question. And, you know, hypotheticals get a bad rap. But here's the thing you want to do. You want to say, in this given situation, how would you react? Now, skeptics say, well, that doesn't mean they'll be able to do it, right? But here's what it does say. If they can articulate three or four steps that they would take to deal with a situation that, that you just laid out, at least you can see their thinking skills. At least you can see them put together in their mind the three or four steps necessary. And if they have an idea of how they would handle it, it's better than not having an idea. So there is a place for hypothetical questions. I, I like them. I don't, I don't base the whole interview on them, but it's a, great, it's a great way to kind of mix it up. All right. A couple other quick types I'll, I'll mention. I love the unconventional question, and I love the challenge question. And I wouldn't spend a lot of time on these, but maybe throwing one of each into an interview is a great idea, I think. Unconventional questions are are like, you know, just kind of throwing them off a little bit. If you could have dinner with anyone from history, who would it be and why? Asking a question like that, that kind of throws them off. You know, if you're, gonna, if you're stranded on a desert island and you had only three items, what would they be? It doesn't do anything potentially, but but get them to open up to the open up their personality a bit, give you a chance to see see what's behind, you know that stoic that interview you know veneer. Uh, maybe you maybe you can understand a little bit more about their sense of humor. You're trying to stay away from personal questions. We don't want to we don't want to kind of venture off too far into personal life or you know hobbies or too much of that because that can that can get us into some hot water from a discrimination standpoint. But Asking an unconventional question to kind of throw them off, I think is fun. The fourth type of question that I like is the challenge question. And here's an example of the challenge question. This is one that I've used in the past. And when I've interviewed 
in the position I was hiring for really had a need for some pretty advanced Excel skills. And so when I'm interviewing someone and I see on the resume that they have advanced Excel skills, sometimes I'll pull out a feature out of Excel and say, explain to me how you would uh, create conditional formatting so that, you know, if a number falls within this range, you know, the cell is red. If it falls within this range, the cell is green. What are the steps you would go through? Or, or explain to me how you use a pivot table. If the answer to the question is clearly, uh, you may have just uncovered that they don't really have advanced skills. They maybe have, you know, medium skills or beginner skills. So that's a challenge question. Those aren't as fun, but but that will get you you know, behind the kind of the resume speak, right? The other kind of challenge question that is kind of fun is, you know, the, there's a there's a famous question that um, says something like, how many ping pong balls or golf balls, I can't remember which, does it take to fill a 747? Now, it has nothing to do with the job, right? So it's not really job-related, but it kind of is. If the job requires decision-making, kind of problem-solving and reasoning skills, the way a person responds to a question like that can be illuminating, right? So if they just sort of throw up their hands and go, oh, I have no idea. Are you crazy? It's stupid. Why would anybody put ping pong balls in a 747? You know, you learn something about them. However, if you have someone that starts to do the math in their head, they say, you know what? I don't know how many ping pong balls it would take, but if, can I ask questions? And you say, sure. And they say, okay, well, are we, are, are we talking about an empty 747 or one with, you know, the seats in it? And you say, okay, well, assume that it's empty. All right. Then I say, can I ask uh, how many cubic feet are in a 747? And what, what's the size? What's the, the cubic, how many cubic inches does one ping pong ball make up? And so you can start to see the wheels turning. A question that is completely off track can, can reveal problem solving skills, thinking skills, critical thinking. Um, and also you can measure sometimes whether they stay cool under pressure. Or, or, or do they panic when, they, when they're faced with a question that they have no idea how to answer? So those are unconventional. So I love the mixture of questions. I think it makes the interview, I, believe it or not, it makes the interview more fun. And if you've got to interview 12 candidates, you might as well have a little fun with it. Also gets them to loosen up and, and you can kind of get behind their resume. By the way, the answer is 20 million. It takes 20 million golf balls to fill, to fill a 747. Let me move on quickly to just the final point, And that is... Assessing intangibles. I have always been a proponent of trying to hire a great person with solid potential and then training them for any skills that they may, they may lack. And this is a little controversial. And, and in some industries, you, you can't do this because of the technical nature of a job, perhaps, in, in some cases. But as a general rule, I believe in hiring for character and then training for skills. Okay. So um, when I say the, it's not the best thing always just to choose the person with the strongest resume, you have to assess intangibles. That's really what that means. How do we get behind the resume? How do we, how do we understand the character quality, the integrity that a person has, the person's humility, the ability to get along with others, a person's ability to relate, their emotional intelligence? All of those things are so important when you stick them into a team in close proximity and expect them to work well with others, Right. So um, we want to we wanna spend time in the interview assessing intangibles, looking for ways to understand how they tick, you know, um, what's behind the resume, what's behind the experience. You can read the resume if you want to look at how many years of experience they have doing different jobs, right? We don't need to spend that precious time in the interview asking them to just walk through the resume and explain each job in detail, even though there's bullet points there that we can read on our own. So we want to, we you know, if we get a canned answer, um, do things like 
ask a follow-up question. You know, what would you do differently if you could do it again? Or when they explain something, you know, they answer a question about a project that they did, and you ask, what did you learn from that? You know, these are the kinds of things you can do to get them to open up. They need, they need to kind of open a window to who they really are, right? So that's kind of it's a very important thing. Assess intangibles. Don't just look at a stack of resumes. Pick the one with the, the best experience, the, 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 you know, the most prestigious university, and say, this is, this is our person. Don't fall for that. And that was Hell's Bells. That means it's time to wrap up. So in the spirit of keeping this short, I'm going to summarize, as I've been doing this season, with three points, five questions, and one action. Here we go. Three points to review. Number one, the decision to place someone on your team has more impact on culture and results than almost anything else you do. Okay? Number two, each link in your chain must have the integrity and core capabilities to fulfill its purpose. Any weak link has the potential to render the chain useless. So when you're looking at a link in a chain, by the way, it has to have two things, right? It has to have integrity. It has to have strength. It also has to have core capabilities to fulfill its purpose. You may have a, a one-inch chain link that is extremely strong. It's well-built. It's, it's got perfect integrity. But when you try to use that one-inch chain to hold an ocean liner to a pier, it's not going to work, right? So it has to have not just perfect integrity, but it has to have the capabilities to fulfill the purpose. And the same thing with a person. Strong character, but it also has to have that core functional capability, right? All right, so number three, uh, we need to use creative and legal questions to assess intangible so that we can get past the resume to find the best human possible for the position. Remember, you're trying to hire a human, not just a worker. All right, five quick questions to consider. These are reflective questions that you could be asking yourself right now. Number one, is it possible that I've relied too much on resume experience or educational credentials when selecting among a list of candidates? Number two, have I let nice-to-haves, or the icing, distract me from evaluating the right criteria? Number three, has conventional wisdom about using behavioral interviewing limited my approach? Number four, the next time I hire, am I prepared to evaluate candidates using a defined set of criteria that balances experience with core attributes? And number five, if I've selected a good human with a skill gap or two, do I need to do anything extra now to train or to coach them to shore up their capabilities? So that's something you have to look at. Look at your current team, and maybe you have done this. Maybe you've selected a person who, who fits really well culturally but has a skill gap. You might need to follow up and make sure that you're, you're filling that gap so that you don't create problems on the team. All right. Finally, one action you can take right now. Here it is. Consider each person on your team as a link in a chain and honestly evaluate if any of them are creating frailty and limiting your team's effectiveness. Then do something to help them. Let me say that again. Consider each person on your team as a link in a chain. Honestly evaluate if they are creating any problems on your team because of that frailty or that limit, and then do something to help them. All right, so we've covered a lot of things today. I'm very excited to get a chance to do this. I know I'm fast. I know I'm moving quickly, but time is precious, right? So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you got a little bit out of it. Um, take it seriously. And just remember, you can break the cycle of bad bossing if you focus on the mindset and skill set of real life leadership. See you next week and stay healthy.